Welcome to another episode of the Let's Talk Revenue Marketing podcast, brought to you by Revenue Marketing Alliance. In this episode, our host, Paul Sweeney, is joined by Carol Howley, Chief Marketing Officer at Exclaimer, to talk about building demand generation strategies for scale. Hello, and welcome to the Revenue Marketing Podcast. Thank you for your company as ever. Today, we're going to be discussing demand strategies for scale. To discuss this, I'm joined by Carol Howley, who is the CMO at Exclaimer. Carol, welcome. Thank you for joining us. And why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you're up to? Hi, of course, Paul. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really delighted to be here. I'm really excited to talk about this topic. I think it's a really exciting one, especially as we're going into the the planning season for so many people and looking to the next year of of what we're all doing and what we're hoping to achieve with our strategies. Um, for me, I am obviously from Exclaimer. We're an email signature software company. Um, and prior to that, most notably, I worked at Skyscanner for seven years, where I built out the B2B arm of the business, um, really sort of from myself through to, you know, hiring a full marketing team and then taking a lead on the, the departmental area alongside kind of the growth and the commercial leads um, to kind of build that out to around 200 people looking at, I guess, everything under the hood at Skyscanner that wasn't all the cool things like, you know, doing blogger trips or, you know, making sure that you're selling tickets to people across the world. It was really about how do we scale the business and build all our commercial relationships. So definitely more on the the boring under the hood side. Um, but during the time I was there, we expanded into the two on markets and, and over a sort of a billion valuation. Um, from there, I kind of went to a place called Canonical, which if you're a developer, you probably use Ubuntu's operating system um, and work with them. They've got over around 30 million daily users of their operating systems and have every kind of product from like cloud through to hyperscale computing and edge computing and IoT. So super interesting space um, and worked for them for a few years and then moved to Exclaimer. So I guess for me, I've been fortunate to have worked in all the roles across marketing in my career, but a real love for kind of demand generation, product marketing and branding are probably like my three most exciting areas that I absolutely love working in. Um, and so kind of, I guess our, our biggest thing at the minute is really looking at how do we scale our business? What's working? What isn't working? And starting to kind of really be, be sort of clever because I think you don't have as much available budget and as much opportunity. So you really need to kind of know when to spend and what's going to work so that you're not kind of wasting any money, but you're also really focusing your effort. Yeah. It's an interesting time to be discussing scaling demand generation. I'm no economist, <laughs> but it feels like the warning light from the global economy are flashing red. At the moment, I think the country you and I sat in this morning, the GDP contracted by 0.3%. That was announced yesterday. And I think that a lot of the bond issuers are forecasting a, a you know, US recession in 2024, at least a 50% chance for you know, a flip of a coin. And Fidelity puts the probability of a global recession in 2024 to about 60%. And anyone who works in tech will be acutely aware of the layoffs and the downward pressure on budgets that you just touched on as well. And marketing folks haven't been shielded from these. Obviously, you know, we all hope those forecasts are incorrect and there's some sunny uplands around the corner. But there's a reasonable chance, I guess, in the next 12 months, we're going to be marketing into a recessionary environment um, with less budget and, you know, God forbid, maybe even less people to, you know, to carry out that work. An interesting time to be talking about scaling demand gen efforts, I guess, Carol, or maybe it's the perfect time. What do you think? Um, yeah, no, I think it probably is um, an interesting time, and certainly that we've um, we've seen a lot of a lot of challenges. And I think you know at the minute, and certainly when you look at kind of across the IT buying software trends, and I guess overall software trends, you are seeing over the you know the past 
last year, people starting to kind of claim there's real green shoots and, you know, that SaaS kind of software buying and, and sort of that growth is there. But ultimately, it is set against a backdrop of a really challenging economy and lots and lots of kind of reasons why people are kind of spending from, you know, everything from different economic to, you know, very volatile political situations as well. So it's fascinating in the minute to kind of, I guess, see the developments and it always feel, almost feels you can't predict what's going to happen as well um, across the world. So so I think, um, I think yeah, it's across the, the sort of tracks, but I think there's, there's certain things that we can definitely see in terms of shifts and areas of focus around demand generation. Generation and I guess how people want to build their businesses and, and sort of really talk to the marketplace that I find quite fascinating. And I think, you know, potentially some of them have been caused by us as marketers when you think to sort of some of the practices, I suppose, we, we've followed. And I know as um, a sort of like reformed salesperson, also demand gen marketer, you know, many years ago, demand gen was all about lead gen. And, you know, I think mm-hmm. when you look back and think of the hundreds of gated campaigns that I have learned, I'm probably one of the the very many people in demand gen and demand marketing that are part of the problem as to why some of those changes in the landscape have happened around the way people buy and the desires that they have to kind of be a bit more kind of distant from brands. So I think it's mm. it's a, such a fascinating time with all these shifts in terms of like how people buy on the background of the economy and also that challenging growth that you mentioned across the whole of the SaaS industry is just... Yeah, a fascinating time, but certainly a challenging time. Yeah, yeah, I think we face the dual pressure as well, um, in so much as we know less and less about our prospects or the kind of organic demand that is out there for the product or service that we sell. I think depending on where you get your data from, up to 90% of the buyer's journey is done before a prospect or an organization talks to sales or chooses to talk to sales. I guess there are also legitimate privacy concerns. Um, meaning that we're probably hurtling towards a cookie-less environment and probably quicker than I thought, actually, even a few months ago. I think that's coming up a lot quicker than um, people are going to think. Putting aside the obvious privacy concerns, I think the beauty of cookies is that they're persistent. So in, unlike a UTM parameter, for example, which gets lost after the first web page visit, cookies are really useful to building out a really complicated and sophisticated mark- marketing attribution um model, which we're going to lose. Opt-ins, opt-outs, double opt-ins have probably eroded the efficacy of um, cookies already and further regulation current down the line is likely to kill off cookies, at least the um, non-performance-based cookies. So this, we have this dual pressure, right? We've got the macroeconomic environment, which is challenging. We've got the, we know less and less about our um, prospects and probably going to know even less in the coming months and years as a result of um, you know, this cookie-less world that we're going to head to, which begs the question, it's no small question, Carol, how do, we, how do we get demand generation right and how do we scale it in the face of macroeconomic pressures and knowing just less about our prospects? So in answer to the question, I think we've covered quite a few things over the, the sort of past few questions, so I'll hopefully try and summarise and pull things together. Um, I think for, for us as marketers, we've got a huge responsibility to really look at how we can drive the business growth, how we can really take that beyond just campaigns and branding and how we can really kind of leverage so many elements of that business to really help it kind of stand out in the marketplace. Um, I think there's increasing challenges and I think it's going to be fascinating this year to see how everything plays out, especially as all the, the third party cookie data comes to an end, how we kind of have to adapt to that as marketers and, you know, what's going to happen. So I think there'll be substantial and quite impressive amounts of disruption really to, I guess, digital advertising initially, but also through everything else we do as marketers as we start to work out how we kind of recover that stable 
environment really that we've been relying on for things like you know advertising the media mix that we're used to having planning and measurement you know there's an awful lot of strategies that we're wondering how to how to adjust and how to kind of change so I think prior to the the announcements around cookies very much the the marketing playbook was changing and I've certainly been talking a lot recently to to kind of people in events around, you know, how much that that playbook is changing as we can as marketers and a lot of companies over indexed up until now on the very, very kind of measurable, attributable channels, things like, you know, obviously advertising, you know, doing things like content syndication, the kind of gated campaigns that we've all relied on so well and have performed so well for really bringing in leads, the very much sort of lead gen focused approach and demand capture focused approach. Um has very much pushed a lot of buyers away from businesses and and seen a lot of that kind of buyer journey move into different areas and also move away with people doing their research very much up to like 60 70 percent of the journey with almost a fully made decision before they even start to interact with content and hand over their data so you know that whole playbook is very much shifting and there's a number of kind of effects of that and i think one of the big things we're seeing and we're certainly very much um benefiting from it i think it's glamour is that kind of swing back towards you know really Really, really investing in a good, strong brand to back everything up, really investing in good content in very, you know, high high quality, I suppose, personalized messaging and making sure that you can really start to, to take advantage of um, where everything's going. So I think, as I mentioned, for us, one of the big things that we've seen a huge advantage and, uh, you know, I guess a lot of resonance for is starting to kind of look at what we do with our, with our brand, with our content, and really kind of look at what the ROI is over the longer terms of some of those activities versus kind of the instant gratification that you get from, from a number of other channels. As I said, we've seen, you know, a lot of people moving away and doing their own research. And I think that trend that everyone's been talking around with dark social, looking at kind of modern word of mouth as well, you know, how do you start? to really take advantage of of being present within the ecosystem of your buyers being there at the point of research and decision making you're being a part of communities being a part of networks um, then you're able to take advantage of this sort of opportunity so one of the big things that I think you can do in terms of, of of scaling and getting demand generation right is actually getting outside and getting into the communities and, and really starting to get to know and operate within the areas where those decisions are being made really and understand how to kind of leverage those channels channels um, as well as really important. I think engaging in valuable content still has a massive, a massive impact in terms of demand generation. It's very much sort of the heart for us of everything we do. It gives you the opportunity to make a really meaningful impact, to give people a, a reason to read and have those really strong narratives. And, you know, while there is the, the ability, the amazing ability, I think, to, to use AI and tooling to help with that content creation, be able to kind of have that sort of pass over with real people, to have really strong standout narratives to kind of be able to to really kind of resonate with people is really really important as we as you scale a demand generation play and then also looking to kind of you know how can you support communication with people whether it's through um email communications whether it's through other areas obviously for us you know we invest in using our own tool which is great having different kind of marketing messages through our email not only do we always make sure our brand's well represented we make sure that different teams different people within the business you know different elements that we want to promote whenever we're doing the campaign out into the marketplace we make sure that that pulls through within signatures so that every possible channel is aligned it's on the same message 
It's very clear. It's all focused to our prospects. And we just kind of leverage all of those, all of those channels. And one's kind of like an orchestration to sort of see if we can, you know, effectively surround people with the messaging, be really, really clear on what we stand for, really keep those narratives in mind and and sort of pull it all together. So for us, it's kind of that shift from what we used to rely on, which is very much, you know, good content, but focusing very much on the kind of lead generation, lead capture side to actually getting out, getting involved and and looking at all the elements that create demand, raise awareness, give us a really standout, strong brand presence and see us just taking those next steps and actually kind of like really being present within people's decision making areas. So I think that's a great way to sort of navigate and move yourself away from being very much reliant on actually just being able to track and pick up people. If you've already got them wanting to speak to you through what you're doing, then it really, really helps. So um, I think for us, that's the the best way that we're hoping and you know, that I think will help people um, scale them, scale their demand generation. Yeah, I think dark social is one of the most interesting elements of marketing at the moment that, that is being driven by. Um, uh, firstly, I think what you correctly describe is probably a reaction to marketers putting forms up and wanting to understand everything about our prospects before they come to us and people then choosing to do their research elsewhere as a direct result of that. Also, just the way that people um, have naturally changed the way that they purchase, um, both in B2C and B2B. Um, yeah, whether it's a dark social or dark funnel, I think Sixth Sense have been at the core of that. I know that you're a big fan of um, Sixth Sense and their work as well. Just for anyone out there listening, you can get accredited with Sixth Sense and they've got a really great book that I'll send you for free. It's on sixthsense.com forward slash next hyphen gen hyphen marketer. Uh, you fill out the form, ironically, and they'll um, send you a book and you can get yourself accredited. It's a really good um, really good accreditation and a great book as well if you understand the concept of uh, the kind of dark web and dark social, just for everyone's shared understanding. And uh, I, you know, I appreciate it might not be your absolute sweet spot. Could you, could you just give an oversight of what you think the dark web, the dark social, the dark funnel is? Um, you know, I think we probably all know what it is and what, you know, like to think what it is, but just for our kind of collective understanding, do you mind just, uh, kind of broadening out this bit? Um, yeah. So I think it's, uh, it's effectively sort of almost anything that you don't normally manage to, to track, I suppose. So, um, when you're thinking of the dark social, you sort of imagine like this lovely customer journey where someone comes into, they click on an ad and they, you know, do this and you map them through and then you sell to them and it's all there. But it's actually everything that you wouldn't necessarily do. So people would maybe, you know, if you think when you're buying and you're doing a bit of research, you may be, you don't have your cookies enabled. So people wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to track them or, you know, when it pops up, you decline it or you do in a private browser. You could well then see something that you're interested in, you copy it, you drop it into LinkedIn, into a chat you prop it into you know a slack chat maybe whatsapp somebody and say oh i've seen this really cool thing so there's so many things that you may do that either you're avoiding cookies or you're sharing in a network you know where we're not able to track that sort of a unique link um Mm -hmm. and sharing with people and discussing things so there could be so many things that actually a brand wouldn't know unless they may be you know some great things actually with social media monitoring tools you can actually see when people are you know send it sharing a non-track link so you can say oh actually people are you know talking about this or if you've got keywords within your brand actually starting to see you know is there growth within these because we've been talking a lot about them so you can start to see a bit of measurement in them but 
it's basically, you know, customers talking about your brand in channels that you don't necessarily own or using links that aren't necessarily trackable and doing research across different areas. You know, they may be sort of searching different things, but then, you know, reading on other sites, you wouldn't necessarily know that they're researching because obviously you're not the the only sort of source of truth for everything to do with marketing if you're selling to marketers. So um, it's it's just kind of all those all those elements and even just chatting at a party. There's no way you could know that someone's been to a networking event and found mm-hmm. out about your brand through another person who's recommended it so um so yeah it's all that kind of element that just isn't trackable through your usual software yeah yeah i think what platforms like six sense do a great job of shining a little bit of light on that dark funnel obviously you're not they're never going to be able to track a conversation at a party but i think through um kind of ip addresses you allow you're able to get an idea of the, the kind of accounts that are in market for something that you offer or sell um so if people are looking to uh Looking to shine a bit of light on their dark funnel, dark social. I think that, you know, a platform like Six Sense is a great place to start to understand how they can um, shine a bit of light on it and understand the organizations that are in market for what they do. Um, it doesn't yeah. solve all the problems. You still got to do something about it. Um, but it yeah, gives you an idea of who's out there, who's, you know, asking the questions, who's posting on social media, who's, uh, you know, visiting your website without being competed. It'll give you an idea of that. It's a great platform. And, uh, yeah, I'd encourage people to take a look at it or a good proxy. I guess yeah. um, one of the areas that I was really interested in, you know, looked at a couple of the presentations you've done in the past is um, I think you're a big proponent of content production um, as, a, as an engine for, I guess, SEO and improving the traffic and the quality of traffic that comes to your site. Um, is there somewhere that we we need to get right for, as a good first step? There's, there's loads of content you can produce, right? And think of blog posts, routes testimonials through to, you know, we're sat on a podcast this morning, webinars, whatever you want to do. What is the kind of first two steps that people need to take from a content production perspective? They need to nail that before they think about anything else they could do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we really interestingly, we're part of a, a portfolio company and we've done a lot of research across our portfolio to really sort of see, you know, what what is working for people and what's working for all the different businesses within our portfolio and to give us a perspective, which I think really helps us. one of the it's a real trend now, I think, that marketers are becoming more keen to you know, actually be very real and share their journey and, you know, say what's working and what isn't and learn from each other. Whereas when I started probably five years ago, it was very much, you know, if you wanted any help, people were like, oh, no, I'm not going to tell you because I might give away my secrets. Whereas I think mm-hmm. now we're all almost building in public, which I think is really, really lovely um, for marketers to kind of have those ideas. And it also, you know, it's almost like having a free career coach because it helps you bounce ideas around and, you know, see what's working elsewhere. And, you know, I know for certain that playbook I brought from my last two, three companies doesn't necessarily map directly to Exclaimer. So it's always kind mm-hmm. of using different things. Um, but what we find is like the right foundations for us um, that we see across all the companies that we're looking at is starting off with SEO. I think over 98% of the companies within our portfolio um, are all investing in SEO or have very established, very mature programs. Obviously, it's like the cornerstone. There is an element, I suppose, next year where everyone's looking at how does AI actually impact SEO and how Mm -hmm. is that going to change? Um, And I think one area for that is actually looking at, you know, how do um, other parties kind of search results come into the arena and 
actually having recommendations and really good networks and really good partnerships really helps you, you know, so that when you're not ranking or maybe you, you sort of deprioritize for certain things, you're actually getting that bonus effect from being listed on, you know, whether it's something like G2 interest radius or, you know, whether it's kind of having a partnership with another company. We've got partnerships with, for example, Drift, we've been doing some work with them and Six Sense and a number of others where, you know, actually we're starting to sort of see, you know, really nice effect of just recommending each other and say, actually, we use these tools and we think they're really, really good. Um, that content obviously is producing your own content. You know, video is increasingly important, I think, especially when you've got all the elements of AI impacting kind of written search. Um, so mm-hmm. having a really good, but it has to be interesting. It has to be value led. It has to, you know, really drive people to actually want to click it. You know, we were, we've all done clickbait for so long that people are wise to it. So, yeah. you know, it has to be really interesting and offer value or people will never come back and um, paid digital obviously a massive element you know you need to get your paid digital right and then we've seen things like email nurture virtual events and in person are really kind of almost table stakes uh for all brands that they need to be doing and then i think for next year 2024 we've also been doing some research ourselves and also within their portfolio of how you know what channels are people investing in what channels are they're not investing in so that potentially you either know that you need to do things or you can maybe have an advance of a, a first mover in your area if other people aren't already doing things. Um, so I think you've got your table stakes, as I mentioned, and then you start to kind of look beyond, you know, most people are doing obviously blog posts, research reports, white papers, ebooks. you can't move from them. You know, I think case studies and buyer's guides as well are pretty saturated. You know, everyone knows you go into a new vertical, it's like you need your web page, your case study, yeah. your testimonials, your emails. It's almost like campaign in a box kind of situation. But, you know, in webinars as well, everyone's doing them. You kind of have to. But then you start to kind of look down, you know, is it really a good thing? We've started looking at third party research reports, like actually finding really good, interesting stats to help people mm-hmm. improve is a great thing or partnering with other other brands and other networks to do them um i think video content is a massive area we've sort of seen that really big companies sort of over 50 100 million are very very heavily invested there but smaller companies haven't sort of really taken advantage of it so there's a great opportunity to do some really good quality video content interactive contents like we've got some roi calculators some you know really quick for people to sort of say actually you know is this tool for me like a video trial or a tutorial or you know actually can i afford this how much does it cost making sure that they can just see really really clearly and make those decisions because people actually they want to make those decisions i know my attention concern and my patience is very minimal as most people who know me including my husband would say so it's like just give me the numbers tell me what it is make sure it's relevant and I'll make my decision very quickly because I'm so time poor so we've got to respect that that's how a lot of people like to work and then really good things like podcasts are, are really busy but actually having a good niche podcast in your your area if you're a smaller company could be an amazing opportunity because not as many people are doing it and um, so I think they're really good and I guess sort of Leveraging things like review sites and communities, as I said, I think, you know, I love being in communities because I love offering value, but also learning from people. But it's also a great way to kind of build your network and also build your business as well. Hey, podcast people looking for new ideas and resources to crush your revenue marketing goals. Our Pro Plus membership is your secret weapon. With Pro Plus, you'll be armed with a growing toolkit of accredited courses, real-world case studies, and battle-tested templates to annihilate the competition. With this plan, you get access to our Revenue Marketing Certified Core Course, which will equip you with insider frameworks and secrets to dominate leads, campaigns, and feedback loops. We're also dropping exclusive master's courses, so you can learn from the greats. 
you'll be taking names in positioning, segmentation, and more. Plus, score a free yearly ticket to our exclusive Revenue Marketing Summit at a location near you. Rub shoulders with the titans of the industry. Whether your goals are short, medium, or long-term, Pro Plus gives you the ammo to conquer them all. Lock and load Pro Plus at revenuemarketingalliance.com and start dominating like never before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, you touched on it there. I think Haig is going to have come under a lot of pressure in the next year on twofold, actually, and for the two reasons that we uh, mentioned at the top of the podcast, actually. One is budget. The first area that budgets get cut is always paid, or at least in my career, it's been the case. Um, <laughs> and the question of attribution and moving away from cookies is going to make backwards attributing to a paid campaign next to impossible if it isn't already. You know, like I said, cookies are persistent. If someone comes in through a paid campaign and then converts on a web page 10 pages later, then at the moment we can attribute that and we can, um, you know, track that back to a paid campaign. I think in the non too distant future, if anyone converts outside of the first page that they visit, um, that isn't going to get attributed to page. Basically, everything's going to fall in this web bucket that's going to have paid elements in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was, I was thinking about this the other day. Is what you know? What can we best do with our pay budget in the next year or two? What are the things that we need to be getting right? You know, being cognizant of the fact that it's under downwards pressure, and also actually demonstrating the ROI, and it's going to be really difficult to do so. So you have to fight for that. What, what budget you have, you have to fight really hard for, and also the ROI on it is going to probably be quite flaky, just as a result of um, you know cookies disappearing or attribution models you know need, needing to be rebuilt. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I don't have, I definitely don't have the, the shining light answer in a sense, but I think um, for us, you know, you have your basics of of your kind of ROI, uh, of your paid digital activity, which obviously is your paid search and, you know, your sort of display and all of that side of things. So, you know, doing that really, really well, really focused, making sure that you're, you know, being aware of, of what is working, of what search terms. I think you need to leverage that on top of that great content that you that we talked about you know that that raises people awareness it increases those searches it gives you more and more to to capture i think if you just do page you've got like a rate limiting factor and you eventually tap mm-hmm. out your channel so you never grow beyond a, a level so very much kind of leveraging it on top of that but i think the more interesting elements of paid now sit within you know how do you create networks how do you create community how do you kind of bring it into that um that sort of paid social side of things you know and really augment what you're doing across there so i think that's one area that is an interesting way to do it but obviously as just as you know it will be increasingly harder to track so um yeah. not necessarily uh guaranteed on the budget sort of side of things um I think, yeah, it's just going to be a really, really challenging, challenging landscape and and sort of changing those playbooks and testing things out. I think for us, one thing we're really seeing is actually starting to to really, I guess, focus on, you know, what's that journey and what's the messages we can do at every channel. And we obviously do that kind of always on element of our paid digital. But then you know, anything additional, we're really looking at how do we focus it? into you know what's actually working you know what's actually in market all of that side of things um so it's kind of really really focusing all of that into you know if people are in market you know can you use tools that are able, you know help you understand you know where the intent is where searching has happened you know because there are some things that obviously you know you can't track everything but you 
you can actually start to see. So if people are searching on review sites, you know, mm-hmm. you can look at that, leveraging that intent data. If people are searching on the internet, if they're you're researching about other areas of content, you can start to kind of utilize that data, which then I guess shrinks the need for your budget to be spent on everything because it's got to be broad brush. It enables you to really target in and say, right, well, if this amount of people are in market right now, which we know is only, you know, between people's estimations is five to sort of one percent. So we know it's not very many people. If you really focus down on those in-market people, make sure you then, you know, you go for them, you surround them with really consistent, relevant, interesting messages, because there's less people, you can be a bit more specific and a bit more targeted, you know, and you wrap around them in all the areas that you can, and then, you know, really nicely plan through what do we serve them at awareness? How do we raise their awareness? What are our narratives? Who we're talking to being clear on your buyer persona? And then, you know, how do you take them through that? journey and what do they need to help through that buying journey as well because then you've obviously caught them but you know they probably need an IT sign off they probably need finance sign off they probably mm-hmm. need to involve their sales team depending on what you're selling so it's starting to kind of make it really really relevant at every point of that journey and it may or may not involve sort of paid activity but I think if you've got a plan of where things come in and out you can I guess be more sensible and a, a bit more managed in terms of your budget and, and what it is that you need to actually do and so I think for us, that's the biggest thing is starting to actually look at what's that decision making process and how do we leverage intent and, and then sensibly kind of take what we, you know, I guess, optimize every conversion possible across all of our, our, all of our areas. Yeah, it sounds like you're getting close to describing ABM or ABX. Um, yes, they're, yeah, they're, I guess. They're contested terms, but um we're yeah, definitely think... doing what we we call it like ABX light, I guess. What we okay. kind of term it's like creating that kind of account based experience rather than because we're quite um, a high velocity company. We're a very low average selling price. You know, generally when people hear about email signatures, they're like, "Oh, I didn't realize you could do that." And they quite mm-hmm. often do go to buy it because it is, you know, it's a low cost and it's got a very very clear value proposition that solves a problem. So we don't want to spend ages, you know, going deep in one account because we don't necessarily need to. But also for us, it's a bit more you know higher higher velocity i suppose so we've kind of classed it in our in our minds as abx light so we focus on really key segments of our icp or verticals and then take them through that journey because obviously we're not you know some people's enterprise account would be millions of pounds whereas for us mm-hmm. you know it's a, a sort of very low price per user so it's not actually the massive you know budget decision but we still see increasingly those um those buying committees are really really important even at kind of commercial and mid-market that you know it's not the same as someone just coming in and being like okay cool i'll buy that um it's very much you know despite even being a, a sort of low price point we've still got buying committees we've still got multiple hurdles to jump through we need to get you know infosec approval all of that side of things mm-hmm. so it's still complicated even if it's cheap these days so it's um it's challenging so for us yeah we focus on that consideration down to purchase help that buying journey as much as possible and just kind of save our money by focusing on what's in market yeah yeah perfect i guess the the final area if we're thinking of um kind of some key takeaways for people to scale their margin efforts in a you know challenging environment is you know is conversions particularly i guess your on-site conversions which is an interesting discussion particularly with the one that we've had around six cents and you know do you put forms on your website what is a conversion um i guess do you have any thoughts around that you know what what do you consider a conversion to be what are your thoughts on forms versus no forms how do we capture the kind of organic and latent demands that arise onto our um, digital real estate and harvest it for um you know marketing nurture and ultimately into sales opportunities um, yeah i think um there's a few questions and i'll try and answer them all um i think uh 
I guess for one thing we do is, is like I say, is trying to map those, you know, all those um, channels and make sure all our messaging is really consistent, really relevant, really, you know, has a lot of point and try and kind of sort of say, instead of just going, oh, we'll do an ad campaign or an email campaign, it's like, actually, this is the message we want to go out to the market with and what's all the channels that we want to kind of um, leverage that across within the the sort of journey that we're hoping someone would go on. Um, so for us, it's, you know, sort of planning out, you know, what's the, the hero content? What's the all the webinars? What would the emails be? What would the bits of content that we have on our site? Or we look to kind of seed with others or, you know, work with communities to kind of promote. And then also making sure if our team are doing, obviously, we've got email signatures within, you know, as our, our kind of company. So we utilize them in our marketing campaigns. So and the good thing with email signatures is, I guess, if you think like 68, 70% of marketers see email engagement as this amazing digital advertising tool, but not many people are using their own company email. And when mm-hmm. you think, you know, a sales team, they're emailing prospects all the time trying to get that deal closed. You know, the customer success team are really sort of wanting to make sure that experience is amazing. You know, may, maybe they can use things like NPS surveys or, you know, watch mm-hmm. the latest webinar and that side of things. So it's starting to think actually, all those kind of all those emails are often wasted in a company. So it's actually starting to leverage them as well. So we kind of we look at our kind of conversion rates across everything we could possibly do just to make sure, you know, we, we're using everything available to us. Um, and then I think it's just being really, really strict on, you know, on our, our targets. I think when you're as a marketer, you sometimes you can't manage you can't measure everything. So you're not always as as kind of strict on your goals and your targets. And, you know, often I've just been inspecting a lot of our kind of OKRs and our goals within our team. And I'm like, actually, can we measure that? And is it really just a little bit squishy? Um, so we're starting to be really clear on, you know, what are we actually trying to do with this? What would the measures be? What does good look like? What does the industry say goods look like? And therefore, where do we need to get to? And, you know, that's everything from landing pages through to our homepages, making sure that we're always testing getting feedback iterating and being really live with everything so i think that conversions elements just really really important across every channel and also working with the sales team you know we we often in marketers get quite excited we're we're doing this wonderful brilliant work and we forget to the sales team that the campaign's going out and obviously they're five minutes later messaging Slack like what on earth is this someone wants to talk about this thing and you know they have no idea so you know not joining up all the dots across all your teams is a really big miss I think that we often you know kind of harm our own conversions with um so that sales enablement sales training making people aware inside the company is also really really important to just optimize conversion and I guess it's the mindset in your team we always kind of have the whole like love every lead and no lead left behind. But that also means, you know, maybe there's somebody coming in who's a great, huge company, but they only want to buy a portion of your sales. Sometimes for salespeople, they're, you know, oh, go talk to the junior, you know, I don't have time. But we've got a real kind of mantra that we're trying to get in everyone's mind that everything's important, and like every sale's important, because that person could be best friends with, I don't know, the head of IBM and tell them, oh, I had this terrible experience, don't buy from mm-hmm. them. But it's it's important because people matter and relationships matter. So, you know, we always focus on optimizing every opportunity, not just every channel, but every kind of conversation to make the most of it and help people people understand that we are the best option for them so I think it's yeah focus on it optimizing every channel that'll help you increase conversions especially web and email nurture I think they're really really important and working with your sales team like it's got to be seamless and personalized the whole way through because they don't care that you know they see marketing materials they get handed to sales they get chucked over the fence to customer success you know they they want everything to be perfect and tailored to them so I think it's just really focusing on that buyer helps a lot as well as we head towards the end of our conversation, Carol, I'm trying to think about 
the original question that we posed today, which is what can marketers do with this dual pressure of a macroeconomic environment that's already you know challenging and likely to get worse before it gets better, and then the kind of regulatory pressure and privacy concerns that are likely to see us have even less insights into the prospects and into the demands that is out there for our uh, product and service. Um, you know, I liked one of the phrases you used earlier of having a playbook that you can kind of pick up and take away. And I'd obviously accept that a playbook doesn't fit in every environment. But if I think about the areas we've discussed and how marketers out there can, you know, continue to market and to scale demand gen effort, demand gen efforts into a uh, challenging environment, I see it as four key areas, as, as you've described them, which is amplifying demand through content. And that is all good in terms of feeding SEO and getting more relevant traffic onto your website. Then you layer on pay judiciously, um, focusing on the content and the assets that you produce that are already performing well from an organic perspective and bringing in the, you know, the right kind of personas that you're looking for for your product or service. Uh, really you know, focusing on third-party websites that are relevant to your service and to your product, uh, so whether that be you know, tr- uh, review sites, whether that be you know, analysts, whether that be even partner organizations where you've got a shared profile in terms of uh, marketing audience. And finally, your own digital real estate focus on conversions and capturing that demand and harvesting it as it, um, as it lands on your website and passing that through into your kind of nurture engine and sales engine. Would, would that be a fair description of the conversation we've had today? Is there anything you'd like to uh, add? Yeah, I know that's um, a really good summation of everything. And I think, you know, as you say, as CMOs and I guess all marketers, we're really facing this increasingly competitive market environment. It's really clear, I think, that the past playbooks, you know, are not enough to create those really successful B2B go-to-market strategies. I know, you know, you look online and you see a really great piece of content, you get the paywall come up, well, the, the sort of firewall come up that says, you know, insert your email. And I always sit there for a couple of minutes, just like, do I really want to? Because I know that in five minutes, I'm going to have a phone call on my thing. I'm going to have 25 LinkedIn requests. I'm going to have, you know, an in-mail, an email. You know, they're going to be literally banging down my door, kind of sending the heavies around to sort of say, please buy a software. Um, and I know because I've done it. Uh, and we do. And so it's like the tools that we need to succeed, I think, in today's digital tool world, being mindful of the kind of, I guess, shifting sort of landscape we've caused with environment difference and people not wanting to give their email and do their own research, you know, is have changed drastically. And we have, we're in this situation where I guess we have to adapt to a very new playbook and make sure that we're kind of constantly learning in terms of what's working, what isn't working and how do we drive that demand. So I think a strategy based on the lead generation tactics doesn't drive that ROI anymore. And it has to be based on, you know, really kind of customer value creation on creating demand on that blended approach of kind of direct customer consumer sort of demand gen and also that long-term brand building i think it's really important that you stand for something that people remember you that you're front of mind because you know if you've looked at the martech alliance this kind of big map of all the different marketing technologies you know we're in a very crowded market every single technology is in a crowded market when i first went to one of those conferences i think there was like a couple of thousand tools you know i've been in marketing a little while but you know there's a few thousand tools and now you know there's a few thousand tools for every single segment and every single element like they don't even have the room to put the names of companies it's just tiny little logos that you can't even see and so it's kind of making sure that you actually do stand out for something so i think the new playbook is really based on that kind of that brand authenticity, creating personal collections, connections and also customer centric experience. So I think all scale up companies like us need to drive that durable growth. They have to look at what programs really do drive ROI while 
being less and less able to track them effectively. So it's being able to kind of work out what measurements you can do um, and sort of blend those tactics, I suppose, together. Like you said, the awareness, amplifying that demand, you've got to base it on content and then leverage your sort of paid on top of it. Look at that full journey. You know, I think trust is so important working with review sites, with communities, with analyst partnerships, you know, and I think then your final element that we just noted on around optimizing every channel on conversions, on optimization of kind of your emails, your nurture, your website is hugely important. So I think for me, that new playbook is based on understanding the intricacies of that buyer journey and developing a very smart and dynamic go-to-market strategy, which to me is a real fundamental shift in our approach from how we've done marketing. It's always been how fast can we get the leads in because we have to grow at all costs. And I think it's that that awareness that actually it doesn't work anymore. And in terms of, you know, you asked whether or not we do, should should everything be gated or ungated? I think there's an argument for both. And I think you can, you know, we try to ungate everything as much as possible, but, you know, occasionally you just want something new or you want to learn more or you want to get some information from people. Then, you know, there's a lot of argument for doing it or maybe kind of putting it ungated in some areas and others. You can probably, you know, sort of find the way to be more sensible, I guess, and, and optimize for what's best for the company. But I think that future is about, you know, balance, intelligence, orchestrating all your channels and, and sort of really the people that can make that move to play to their strengths, apply things, test things, be quite agile and work out what works for them are the people that are going to really kind of win in 2024 because I think it's going to be a challenge for all of us. So it'd be interesting to look back at the end of the year and see if anything that I've tested out is still sticking and, you know, the things that we're doing have changed at all, actually, because I think it will be such a fascinating year for the industry. Yeah, yeah. I think on the forms front, I think one of the things that we're going to see as a result of the cookies policy is is actually a proliferation of forms, but forms in channel rather than on-site, because that's the only way that paid people are going to be able to attribute their uh, Thank you so much, Carol. That's really helpful. Hopefully, parts of that conversation are completely redundant, and 2024 is a blowout year for you know all of our companies and for the global economy. But if not, hopefully, there's something in there for people to pick up and learn from uh, as they look for the kind of fundamentals of uh, scaling to margin for uh, you know, the good times and the bad. Carol, um, if people want to get in contact with us, what are your uh, what are your socials? What's the best way for people to say hello? Yeah, of course. So um, I'm obviously on all social media networks, but um, LinkedIn, uh, I'm Carol Howley and Twitter. Um, I've actually got Kazisw, uh, but C-A-Z-I-S-W. Um, they're probably the best ones to get really instant kind of responses or obviously you know, drop me an email. It's first name, last name at exclaimer.com. So really easy to to work out as per most companies. Um, so yeah, LinkedIn, email, Twitter, you know, anything really, really open, actually, you know, really open always to kind of have conversations and feedback and, you know, to learn from other companies what they're doing. So I do think it's just really helpful to have that conversation in it. You know, I feel it's it just kind of sparks those ideas and helps you, you know, kind of make changes because everything that we were doing even six months ago when you look at algorithms you know all the changes all the new elements that are coming in the advertising changes the cookies you know everything just changes so fast it's not like there's a you know there's no textbook you can refer to and websites are out of date in five minutes so it's it's just so fascinating to kind of see what other people are doing and and sort of evolve and be agile and keep moving to to sort of keep ahead of things so so yeah i'm very open to conversations yeah, I think as Winston Churchill said, never let good crisis go to waste. So if we do end up with some challenging times in 2024, then uh, let's, let's, let's at least make the most of it. Yeah, indeed. Cool. Well, thank you for your time, Carol. And um, yeah, thank you for your expertise. I think there's some really useful stuff there. Great. Thank you so much for having me. It was really great to talk. 
Thanks for joining us on Let's Talk Revenue Marketing. Don't stop now, there's more to explore. Dive into our other captivating episodes where we uncover revenue-boosting strategies, insider secrets, and inspiring success stories. Get ready to unleash your marketing potential and stay ahead of the game. Keep listening and enjoy the next episode.